This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Welcome to the Hero Academy Podcast, the place where we can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes. I believe that frontline heroes such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those who have chosen to serve society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here you will learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their passion. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing. Things you can do to make extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you will learn from people like you who are working full time, but still found time to create a course, grow a big team or a large audience or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories and how they overcame burnout. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. I'm your host, David Diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. Hello, my family, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Hero Academy podcast. If you are a frontline hero, police, fire, EMS, military, or medical professional, then you are in the right place, and this show is definitely for you. This week, I would like to introduce you to our guest, Andy Mendez, who is now a detective recently promoted from police officer. I think he was a police officer when we recorded this episode. This is episode number 11 of the Hero Academy podcast, Andy Mendez. Enjoy. In this episode, we talk all things video games, all things that, uh, you know, all the gamers out there love. And I know there's a lot of gamers out there. All right. Enjoy. Where's all those video games at that you showed me? Oh, man. Well, so the main collection I sold. You sold all those uh, old games? Yeah. So what happened was we're buying a house. So I had to sell those. And then what I did was I have all the systems. And then I'm building uh, like arcade one-up machines into like main machines for like Uh multi. And uh, that's going to be my replacement for now. That's pretty cool. So... For those that don't know you, if you could just introduce yourself, what branch of military were you in? I was in the Marine Corps. Marine Corps. And how long have you been an officer? Probably about 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. 11 years in the police department. What made you join the police department? I always wanted to do it. My uncle did it. It just seemed something like make a little bit of a difference, you know, the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you know, my audience is primarily military, nurses, firemen, and police. So um, you and I have worked together for three years now. Yeah. And uh, one day we had a conversation about video games and I was like, oh, Andy, we got to record this. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, when I used to work midnights, I used to try to stay on the midnight schedule. And that was my excuse to come home and play video games on my days off. (laughs) Yeah. So I would stay up until like two, three in the morning just playing games, just to try and stay on that night schedule. And then I would wake up at like nine if it was my day off, you know? Did you ever work midnights? 
So I did a lot of overtime on midnights, but I never actually did it steady. Yeah, I pretty much just used to play my games. Before I had my son, I pretty much just did the same thing. You know, got home, any kind of downtime. It got harder and harder, obviously, with more responsibility. But they came out with a lot of different things that kind of helped that out. Like the Switch, you could just turn it up. <laughs> And just play for a minute and then pause it, which really helps, you know, if he goes down for a nap or something. Yeah. Um, not what it used to be like when I was a kid. Yeah. So the first system that I had was Atari. I remember it. And it got me hooked. And then the thing that really hooked me in was Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. Like when they came out with Nintendo, that was just like another level. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. I, we used to rent Atari games as when I was a kid. I vaguely remember even having it. And then I got a Nintendo as a kid. Like kind of a family thing because it's one TV. Yep. It's like that old boxy TV. You have to wake up before everybody to play it. But that was incredible. I mean, that was was, like, uh, was Super Mario Brothers your first game? So my first Nintendo game was Super Mario. It came with yep. the system. Yep, and yep. as a kid, I remember I never even beat it. I would always just get about halfway through until I was a little older. Yeah, um, that game seemed to go on forever, right? <laughs> crazy is it's it's such a short game as an adult, but it's still impossible sometimes to actually yep. finish. I think it would get easier, but sometimes I feel like when I was a kid, like I was more like my reflexes are a little better. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, do you know like how some people are making money from games? So from, yeah. from the gaming industry? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the old stuff is cool. People have opened up a lot of stores at the height of this, which was, you know, I feel like it really hit a height a few years ago to like yep. maybe five years ago. And a lot of retail stores opened up and anyone who reached out to do that pretty much is making a pretty good profit. But, you know, they're hustling because now you got everybody trying streaming. to sales. They're streaming. They're trying to get those games. They're at these yard sales an hour before they open up to get these old games. And so as somebody who wants to like casually collect right now, it's very difficult because prices went very high. Mm. Yeah. Gary V, do you know who he is? He talks a lot about going to garage sales and he goes on eBay. He checks the prices right at like while he's there, he'll pick up the game, like, you know, an old Nintendo game and he'll know that, okay, this game is worth 10 times what they're asking for it. Yeah, it's so hard to find that now because so many people just know the big titles. There are certain ones out there you might be surprised. When I sold part of my collection, there was a lot of PlayStation 2 games that ended up being worth a couple hundred bucks. Wow. Which pretty insane considering most of them are, you know, a couple dollars each and they're not now, really How'd sold. you sell them? Just privately? Um, eBay. eBay's good. The problem with eBay for someone who's only selling a few things is they hit you with fees. So... Mm charge of the shipping, the fees. When I sold my collection last year, I probably a couple thousand items. So me and my fiance now basically were just running through, like we had the whole living room full of bags. There was labels printed out. I got pretty good at it, but yeah, it's a good route to go. And you know, I know a lot of people want to do bulk items, but it was really worth it to piece each individual one out because you know, you might get $20 for a game that you thought you'd only get $5 for. Yep. And most of the guys buying this stuff on eBay for the eBay price are going to keep it and enjoy it rather than try and sell it. So the coolest thing I sold was I had a Wii U kiosk from a GameStop. And uh, I actually had a collector come out and pick it up and paid a pretty decent amount of money for it. You showed um, me a picture of it. When you get a chance, maybe later, or I'll remind you, but send me a picture of you had all those games stacked on the floor and you had it next to that that Wii U station. Send me a picture of that. I want to use yeah. that 
I want to use that picture. Yeah, it's a good picture. I wish I could have held on to everything, but like everybody else, you know, things come up in life. Yep, yep, yep. And maybe one day when things plane out a little bit, I'll get the favorites back. Until then, I'm all emulation and just getting these arcade machines going just for my son's room, so... You mentioned to me about Twitch. Like, I didn't know. I still don't know a lot about Twitch. Like, do you have any experience with Twitch or do you know a little bit about it? I'm a big subscriber to a lot of channels. Twitch is great. Like, if you have the time, that's what it is. Like, I could stream and maybe get a few viewers, but it's really about putting out constant content. So if you do that for a living almost, or you have the time, you can really grow an audience on there. And when you hit a certain point, I mean, it really does act as income. I mean, some of these guys are really bringing in money, but there's a lot of little guys out there who are doing okay themselves too. It's just about being entertaining and just enjoying yourself. When you're not enjoying yourself, I think the audience can feel that. And those are the guys who might not, or girls that might not make it, you know. So the ones who do the best are probably comedic, right? They're like very funny. Yeah. They're either comedic or they have a personality that's like fun to listen to. They're informative, or even if they're not the best at the game, they're okay. And They know what the audience is thinking and they know when to talk about it for them because they're kind of watching. So you're in charge of kind of figuring out like what is everybody thinking, what's on their mind, and then also regulating that chat, which is like missing people who are saying things inappropriate and trying to focus Uh on people who watch you and respond to them so they're excited to be in the room. That sounds like a lot to manage and keep track of. And it sounds like you need an assistant watching the monitor. Yeah, you need moderators. People just decide us that are semi even subscribers that can moderate for you and always a little bit more to things than they seem you know when you pop that channel on and you're watching you're like oh this is cool you know maybe your mom or dad might be like oh i'm just playing a game or it's a little more to it even as an adult it's hard to put out that kind of content and a lot of these guys the girls have other jobs and it's a lot of work it comes down to consistency so like if you did a stream every day at the same hour which is tough for us because we work shifts so it's right. like really, really extremely hard for us to say, okay, every night at 7.30, I'm streaming, but it's tough for us because we don't know if we're going to get held up at work or right. even the following week, we're going to be on a different tour, different shift. So it's hard to have yeah, a steady... You got to think about it. Like if you were going to watch a show that obviously everything comes out instantaneously now, but if you were going to watch a show and every week they said Wednesday at seven, this show is going to come on, you know, to get excited and to move your schedule... If you turn around as a streamer and you're like, hey, I'm going to be on Wednesday and then I'll let you know whenever I figure it out, uh-huh. you can have some people tune in, but you're not going to retain that audience. That like, And you're not going to grow an audience like that either. No. You need a so, steady schedule. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of factors. And you can pre-record and put it up, but there's something about when you're live and interacting that people like to watch. And I get it too. A lot of people say, why is everyone just watching people play? Why don't you play? I'm like... Because it's mentally taxing to play a game sometimes. (laughs) And you just want to relax. It's like, why are you watching a show? Why don't you just go act the show out yourself? Like, no, sometimes people just want to watch and be entertained. It's like, why you listen to the radio? It's a piece of entertainment. That's what a lot of people don't get. It's not you having to do it. But personally, I'm not crazy. Like, I like joining group games, but I prefer third-person action games. Like uh, Batman, oh, Spider-Man, I played twice. A lot of people don't know that I'm a gamer, you know, especially during the lockdown. You know, like when I was home for two weeks because I had to be quarantined, I played Spider-Man. I killed it, you know? (laughs) Yep. There's just so much to it. And I think if the technology today was available for a lot of us that are like 30, 40 plus, I think we would have killed it. 
back in the day. You still can. You just have to decide yeah. that that's the direction you want to go. Right. And then what audience you want to appeal to. Yep. So, man, if this was around when I was younger, I mean, we used to have land parties. Like, we used to bring computers to each other's houses. Like, in that day, if we could generate a stream like the way they do now and just show that whole event and just do it on our own that easily, I mean... You probably would've... wouldn't have become a cop. You probably would have just been like <laughs> a YouTube, Twitch star, millionaire playing video games all day. Like, it's a wild world that we live in now. Yeah. I mean, if you got the drive and the right personality, I really think what it comes down to is obviously anyone willing to do the work, but you got to have that personality that appeals to that audience. And not everyone has it. I see I'll go on a channel and they're like great at the game and everything, but it just doesn't capture you. It's not entertaining. Right. But Um, some people pop, obviously, and then attracts a certain audience too. But I'm more about the mild grade kind of like interesting a little funny knowledgeable kind of the older games that i like to watch so what about esports like do you know about esports yeah so i thought esports was the most incredible thing when i first saw it on tv you know i knew about it but when you see it on tv as a real thing on a real channel it was like wow it's like a huge milestone our generation especially you're basically like your parents are like hey everything's a cartoon for kids it doesn't matter if it's south park or if it's raunchy it's it's a cartoon and that's for kids They have this mentality. So when I saw esports, I'm like, wow, this is great. It's finally getting attention. The problem with esports, I think, is so hard to follow. I've seen games on there that I know that I play all the time that I can't follow, like 100%. Like I'll be watching like maybe Overwatch or something go on. You know, I play all the time and I just can't follow it. It's just so random and the announcers are trying their best, but it's not like a sport where you're looking out from the outside. You're kind of jumping between players and right. maybe there's a lot of younger people are a little bit more sharp because they're younger, but as an audience, as a widespread audience, it's so hard to follow and like know what's going on. So that's the yeah. only thing with that. Tournament gaming, like esports, that's something that's a little bit beyond me. Like I know that I'm past that generation, you know, like I know what it is, but I just think it's pretty cool that people make a living playing video games, you know? Yeah, and it's pretty intense. I mean, there's plenty of documentaries too now out about it, about how much work it takes for these guys to do it. I still couldn't do it even in my best day. I mean, it's just not viable. It's just so much effort. Yeah, I equate the amount of work to that, like being a professional poker player, because I love poker also, you know. So I know that for me, it's more of a recreational thing. I could never play professionally and like just sit in a casino for nine hours a day folding, folding, folding. Okay. All right. I got Kings. Now I'll play every hour and a half sitting there, just folding, folding, folding. Like I know I couldn't do that. I would love to play in the world series of poker one day, win my seat or the uh, WPT be on television and win my seat that way. But uh, I just know that the amount of work it takes to like, you have to like really, really put in the hours. You have to study, you have to get a coach. And it's the same thing with esports. Like, you have to put in the hours and hours and hours of gaming. Yeah. And that's what it is. Like, I can be moderately, to me, in the overall world of things, I'm moderately versed in things. Obviously, there's a lot of people not into it that would turn around to me and be like, oh, you're a computer genius. It's like, no, I just grew up with it. I can't right. do somebody who dedicated their whole life right. to the. I can't do what they do. I can't just like anything else. Like you can be really good at something, but just you're not going to be a pro in the Olympics. So (laughs) 
it's one of those things that's exciting to watch. You know, you watch other people. Same thing with the streaming. It's entertaining. They're good at it. They do it all the time. They have the time to do it. And it's exciting to watch because you get to see kind of that other people do what you haven't done. And I don't know. I think one of the best forms of entertainment, it's interactive. You can talk to the people. You can donate and just be part of the whole. You can be part of the experience rather than just watching a sport where you can't really, you know, you watch it and it's over. There's no like personable effect to it. Another way that, say you're a police officer or you're a nurse or you're a fireman, another way that you could profit off of your gaming, uh, you could just blog about it. You could have a video blog. You could have a, uh, almost be like a game journalist. Yeah. Like there's just so many different sides and angles to it. You don't have to be a player necessarily. Right. You can just be interested in it. And like, I'm sure like just not to compare all the time to sports, but I'm pretty sure that most people writing a lot of these articles and reviewing and talking about it in the morning never played more than up to college. And they're good you know, writers, they're, though. They're good writers. They're knowledgeable. That's what they do. So you can't have the guy who is like a pro football player every time come around and be like, all right, well, I'm going to be a professional writer now because I know how it works. There's right. always someone who does something with it. And just somebody who's interested in something that's willing to put enough effort in to be just enough on the level to know what every, the professionals are talking about is good. So like I have a lot of books that I got that were documented by like different YouTubers that I backed that wrote books on the games and reviews, and they did a great job. If you put them up, you know, they probably get outplayed by a 10-year-old, yep. but they're into it and they're knowledgeable about it in a different way. Another way that we could profit off of gaming is by making a gaming website or making an actual game. And you and I, we talked about this. I have an idea for a game, but I know it takes, it takes hundreds of people. It takes years. I looked up how long it takes, and uh, they said the average game takes about two to five years to produce, two to four years to produce. And I was like, wow, I, I had no idea that it took that long. But I wonder if you had a, a uh, army of volunteers, like say you had a thousand people all working on a specific game, like everyone knows what the game is they're trying to create. And like you bring a little bit of coding experience and I bring a little bit of story experience. And then we have another writer who can contribute. And then we have maybe a uh, somebody who passed the bar exam and they got some law experience and they can write some contracts for the game, you know, something like that. I have a vision of like creating a um, almost an open source game. Yeah, it's a great idea. And from what I've seen, it almost seems like the amount of effort it takes, it's almost like you just need to figure out what level to bring it to, to be able to use somebody else's money, you know, unfortunately, to say, hey, this is what we got. We got this far, almost like a Shark Tank deal. You know, if you watch, yeah. it's, hey, are you willing to take a risk on this to go the rest of the way? And I think yeah. if the idea is good enough and the effort's in enough, and it's something that would actually, in an investor's mind, make money, in a person who plays games, you obviously want people to enjoy it. So they kind of go hand in hand. But I think getting it to a certain point is what it takes. And that's always a gamble. But yep. Yep. if there's enough good ideas, I think anything can happen. I think so too. I think if you have enough good people backing an idea and you have enough good people working on it, I think you can bring almost any idea to fruition. 
if you get the people excited about it. Right. We work with some really incredible artists. A lot of people have side hustles. They have side talents that they may not necessarily bring to their job every day. But like, if you give them the opportunity to uh, put that talent to use, they might be able to shine in another area. Oh, absolutely. I think there's plenty of people out there, especially in an environment like us, where people kind of box themselves in because it's such a stable job and they have their flow going. So it's very (laughs) difficult to almost ask someone to step out on a limb for something. But honestly, the way information flows now and what's out there, if you take a shot at it and you get something together and it doesn't work, I mean, you really didn't lose anything except trying and it's a good story. I mean, if it works out, then it could be pretty crazy. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Uh, Switching gears. So I never understood how people could pay money. What was that farm game called on Facebook? Was it Farmville? Farmville. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, Yeah, it was Farmville. And then there was Stardew Valley. So Farmville in particular was, uh, it was hot for a minute. I think it was made by Zynga. I play chess with friends still on my Mm -hmm. phone. And a lot of people were playing words with friends. But Farmville in particular, I never understood how people could spend real money. And some people spend hundreds of dollars. I met a guy inside of a game who said he spent like 10K on a game. And my mind was blown away. And I was like, you know what? I will never, ever, ever feel bad about charging someone 3K for a service when I talked to this guy who paid 10K for a game, a mobile game, just buying upgrades. Do you know about NFTs now? They're like it's becoming like a big thing. Yeah. So what's going on is that these games, back in the day, games were what you got. You paid, you got the game, even the multiplayer games. And what these bigger companies realized was they were like, all right, our investors want to see growth. So we're so big already. We're making so much money. How do we make even more money? And capitalism does its thing and people get greedy. And what happens is they're like, hey, what they did was they started out with, hey, all right, well, if I'm going to make somebody play a game, I'm going to hold all of the items rather than you find them and play with skill. I'm going to hold them behind timers or hold them behind, you know, making it almost impossible to get by playing it. And you can just pay money. So it's almost like they get you addicted to the game. Everything's very kosher in the beginning. And then it turns into, well, now you can't do anything. So now you've spent 12 hours on this game already and you can't get anywhere now without paying. It's not respected uh, throughout the gaming community. People with the phone games seem to be on a different level in the community. They don't seem to mind. They keep spending the money. And could a lot of these things are like loot crates where you get a crate and you pay money and it's random items. Big dispute over whether that's considered gambling. You're paying real money for a product that you don't know what it is. That could be random with no chance of even getting what you're trying to purchase. So there's been lawsuits. This is um, not enjoyable for me. I try to avoid any game that's like that. Even these games that come out like that include season passes, a season pass, you pay $100 extra, let's say, for a season pass. Six months in, the season pass, if you buy the game, is either included or discounted down to like $10. And then the content it comes with is usually like not much at all. So I really feel like the industry 
you know, people making the games is one thing. And then the corporate version or side of it is ripping people off. They're starting to nickel and dime. So they do these little microtransactions where it costs, if you want to upgrade your whatever it is that you're trying to upgrade, it only right. costs two ninety nine, three ninety nine. you know, and you keep doing these little microtransactions. And next thing you know, you've spent hundreds of dollars. Right. And it's taking advantage of people because a lot of times, let's say a Fortnite, and you're trying to purchase V-Bucks and who's playing Fortnite? I'm 30 some years old. I'll play Fortnite, but I know I'm not going to spend $80. I mean, maybe there's adults who are doing it. It's the there kids are. going there, to their parents. There are. It's the concerning part is the kids. They go to their parents and they're like, hey, I need more V-Bucks. And the parents are spending like 20 here, 40 here, and they don't even know what they're buying. And the kids don't have any concept of it. I just feel like they're really taking advantage cost-wise of what the content they're putting out. And, you know, it's legal if people want to purchase it, but I think it kind of needs to be some morals in that world when you're marketing things to kids. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think if you put a toy out in the store that parents could kind of wrap their head around that did something similar, like, yeah, the toy stopped working. We got to put another $5 in it. Like, yeah, I think parents would be like, yeah, we're not buying this. Nobody would buy it. But it's hidden in this like world, electronic world that's not real. And the corporate market is literally playing all these parents and all these people. They're just playing them and lying to them. And it's wild. It really is wild. It blows my mind just going back to that guy. Like I could not believe that he spent over 10. And then I asked him, I was like, you must be rolling in money. He made less than six figures. (laughs) He made less than six figures a year. And he like, he worked overseas. I forgot what he did. Something for like an oil company. And he said he spent like over 10K. He had to stop playing because he was finding himself too addicted to the game and that's a real thing that a lot of people don't get like game addiction you know and i know that i have an addictive personality and that's why i don't do any drugs because i know that i would be like a raging cokehead (laughs) you know yeah it's crazy i think what happens is it's one thing if a game like world of warcraft i used to play that for years i heard that was one of the most addictive games out so it was and especially as a kid and it was fine. I paid per month as one fee, but for some reason for me, I feel like it was different. Like I paid a fee. It was like $20 a month and I got unlimited access to this game, which was like $600 worth of game. I mean, the amount of time I got to put into it, but it was addicting, but it wasn't like draining my wallet. It drained my time, but I enjoyed it. I played with friends. We talked, right. we, you know, it created excitement conversation and, and it becomes a social thing too. Right. When you turn around and you have games that if you said somebody spent $10,000 on alcohol this or on the casino and they make 60000 or whatever a year, you'd probably turn around and say that person has a problem. <laughs> Dude, you have a little bit of a problem. Right. Something's going on there that's right. maybe not well balanced for an individual to live like. And I think that because it's a video game that I'm telling you that these companies are taking advantage of the still so many people out there with this stigma that it's a kid's toy and nobody cares. And this is what everybody does. And I'm like, yeah, it's great. But how great would it be if that company made no money from doing that, then put a game out for $60 that you never had to spend a dime on again, that was complete, that you could play just as much. And 
I think we're just being taken advantage of in such a scientific way. I mean, they have people just researching this, how to do this. I think it's your average person can't wrap their head around it. And I just think consumers are being manipulated in a bad way (laughs) and it's costing them money. Do you have any um, side hustles right now other than your job? So what I do now, I mean, I don't really buy and sell. I sold my collection off. So that was big. And then right now, what I do is I'll do like the arcade machines. So like if someone wants one, like a friend or something, I don't mind doing it. It's not you'll as profitable. Find, you'll find one. You'll find one. And then you'll be like the middleman. Yeah. I'll just find one. I'll kind of like do the whole thing for them and just whatever it costs me to do, I'll just give it to them. It's so hard to make money now. Even when I used to build computers, it used to be profitable when I was younger. You know, a computer, you go to the store, it'd be like $2,000. And if I built it, it'd be 800 bucks. Now, the overhead, by the time I'm done building someone a computer, the $100 I would have made, I can't give them a warranty. I can't give them what a big company. If you call a company up, something big is broken, they can take it back. So it's become more difficult to make it a profit thing. It's more right now, kind of just break even, have some fun. Maybe once in a while, you can make a couple bucks on it. But it's just difficult right now with the overhead and how much cheaper a company mass producing something can make on it. What's your top five greatest games of all time? Oh, top five. I would say Super Mario is always on everybody's list. That original Mario, my big yeah, one. It, it has a nostalgic feeling to it. Absolutely. I was a Mario guy. Zelda, as I got a little older, Zelda became a little better. It was a little more difficult as a kid. Resident Evil is one of my biggest franchises. I thought that was amazing. I got it. It was one of my first two games The place that when I first got my PlayStation. Crash Bandicoot, the original. Between that and Resident Evil, those are the games I used. I got Doom's up there. There's so many good ones now. Beside the classics that I could say are my favorites, there's just so many good ones. I mean, the new reinvented Doom series that they came out with, it's just amazing. Like, it's certain games do it right, and that was one of them. The Resident Evil remakes, they're all pretty incredible. The new one's coming out soon, The Village, which is going to be great. I tried to do the VR thing for a while, and I don't know if I'm just too old or my balance. I get sick from it. I don't think it's where it needs to be yet. You know, I don't think VR is not into it, you know? Yeah. You know what it is? It's amazing, but the frame rates have to be so high because it's potentially putting out two different screens. And when the frame rates aren't high enough in each screen, which takes a lot of power, you tend to get motion sickness and unfortunately prone to (laughs) motion sickness when that happens. But it was a lot of fun. There's certain things I could play. But I think eventually when they cut the cord on the back and it runs super smooth, I think it'll be something to look back into. If you could go back to your 18-year-old self right now, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself. So here's what I would do. I would definitely get back and take the YouTube thing a little more serious and the streaming because when that emerged, with just the, I mean, there was just so much to talk about that was You'd fresh. be a multi-millionaire by now. Yeah. I tell you what, I would have tried. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I have a good group of guys that I grew up with that are all into the same stuff that would have put 120% in. And who knows? But unfortunately, because that time passed, now we just have to watch guys kind of that got on board with that are our own age. You know what? A lot of people say it's not too late. It's never too late to build an audience. That's why I'm podcasting. Podcasting is still kind of in its infancy, you know, like a lot of people think that 
podcasts have been around for over a decade now. I don't think it's too late for you to build a YouTube channel. YouTube is just a lot of work. That's why YouTube is kind of like in my background. I'm recording these over Zoom. I'll post them up on YouTube, but YouTube's definitely not a focus of mine. Yeah. But I don't think it's too late for you to start a YouTube channel. Yeah, it's all about the consistency and the time and the production value. I mean, YouTube first started, it was people got started out and built an audience and you see some of the videos now from these same guys and they have like $10,000 cameras. It's, it's yeah. a production studio. Yep. So, but it's difficult in the beginning when you don't have that, you know, you really got to, but it's kind of good because if you build an audience based off of you and your content, the production value will just get better as you get better equipment. I think yep. there's a lot of people out there jumping in, buying all the equipment and making it look great, but there's nothing to watch. And so I think the key is to start off small until you know what you got and then build on that. Good content. Yeah, it was uh, it's like a really good piece of advice. If you could create a Netflix special, right? Like you had the Andy Mendez show, what would your Netflix special be? Oh man, I don't know. There's so many things I want to see. I would love for somebody to go back and put it on Netflix, like an actual retro back to like the 90s PC era of like where all these original guys started and like just get footage and go back like all these computer shows and like these early games. I mean, they try to do it once in a while, but I feel like they just skip over things. They have a 90s, a 2000s. They have like some kind of docuseries like that already. Yeah. It'd be nice to get somebody who would dive right into like just that whole section of like PC gaming like early PC game, like, uh, and just really get into detail because I really feel like early nineties, early two thousands, that's where all this started. These are the guys who kind of like paved the way for this with yep. building computers and land parties and these big giant 20 pound computers and screens, dragging them all over the place. And they're really the ones who said, you know what? I don't want to drag my computer around anymore. Like and pushed for this multi-gaming like internet just like streaming they're the ones who really made the paved the way and i think that's worth a better look maybe by somebody who could produce it that's maybe done it instead of just somebody who's documenting it the playstation 5 i'm actually surprised that they came out with such a large unit i don't have a playstation 5 yet i still have a playstation 4 i barely play it now because i'm so busy doing other stuff but right <laughs> i'm trying to build a business but I'm surprised they came out with a unit because everything is going streaming. Like you don't really need a huge memory anymore, I guess for the downloads and for additional content, but you don't need that anymore. If everything is really, you really just need a, something that's going to be powerful enough to stream things really fast. Right. And the problem they're having, and they're running into a barrier right now where it's not perfect. So people know what it's like to play a game that's preloaded on your system. Right now, internet's different everywhere. Like, I might have a good connection. My buddy might not have a good connection. He might be on cable. I might be yep. on optical. And yep. their servers also have to be able to put out the same. And what happens is gamers right now, these games are running at such high frame rates and they're so smooth and everything is so intense that even if you have such a good service with the type of internet and streaming available now, when you put that game on, I know when it's being streamed. Like, I've used some of these services to play games like, and stream them, you know, if you play games all the time, 
that that's not on your system, that there's just slight delay and slight offset from like the real deal. And I think once they get past that, if they can figure that out, these systems are going to be gone. Yeah, Um, speed gets faster. It really, everything comes down to speed. It's like the Tesla. Everyone's bragging about everything the car could do. What really makes that car do what it does is their computer. It's that that buzzes down to the main unit. It's just impossible to put everything you want in such a one device in your living room, you know? Yeah. If you could give any advice to uh, upcoming young gamers, young cops, young firemen, uh, what would you tell them? I would say just keep well balanced. Don't get lost in the mix of life and family and kids and, oh, and forget completely about what makes you interested and what you're interested in and happy. I think finding time for that and sharing that with them or sharing that, keeping yourself full instead of forgetting about it or not doing something you wanted to do within reason, obviously, is something you should never give up on. You should always, if you have a hobby, make time for it. Don't let it wreck your life, but make time for it. And if you want to get more serious, then do it. It doesn't mean you have to erase the other half of your life. My uh, final five questions, My, uh, if you could just keep it short answers. Sure. What does being a hero mean to you? Like, what's your definition of that? For me, I think in terms of my son, I think be somebody that like, you know, when you think about your parents and you think they're like the best or maybe not everybody, but you think like they're at another level than every other person in the world. I think being like that to your kids would was my definition of what the closest someone could think about you as a hero. How do you feel when society labels you a hero? I dismiss it. It's appreciative, but a story can make someone sound like a hero, but it doesn't hold the same depth on a personal level. It's just, I'm one of those guys, if you do your job and then that's your job, you never want that attention. It's yeah, a I know strange you're not, feeling. You're not, you're not big on getting attention, but I want to personally thank you for your service. You served our country, and then you continue to serve in the police department. And Andy Mendez, you're a hero to me. When you start to get at your lowest point, how do you save yourself? For me, it's the gym. Um, Yeah, I try to do anything I can. The gym, I try to eat better, and then I try to dive into my interests a little bit. I'll do some PC gaming, or I'll look something up. I'll start a project. I try to keep busy. I think keeping busy in something you're interested in is the trick. Some people just try to be busy and that doesn't yep. work. You're always just yep. thinking about what's bothering you. Um, just be organized and stay busy with interests. What's your uh, greatest strength or your greatest ability? I would say just my ability to do my gaming stuff and troubleshoot computers and maybe do it a little bit better than most people, but not the best, obviously not better than the best people. It's kind of nice when you can do something that maybe 60% of the room can't do or 70% of the room. It kind of makes you feel good. Like was that makes it worth it all the time and effort you put into something that you like. And last question, just for fun, if you had a comic superpower, what would it be? Oh man, I don't know. Probably invisibility. Invisibility? Get everybody to leave me alone for a few minutes. (laughs) You and I, we're both introverts. I like to be left alone too. All right, brother. I appreciate it. And I'll see you at work. Absolutely. Great talking to you. You too. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. 
And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith1. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.